I know that nearly every week that I have the opportunity to share with you, uh, I say thank you for being here. Thank you for giving yourself to God in this way. Um, and I know, as I said already, I've, I've, we've recognized uh, this being Father's Day and the fathers uh, among us, but I want to tell you specifically as men, thank you for being here. Thank you for making room for God in your life. Thank you for answering the call. And I don't mean minister, I don't mean pastoral call or ministry call, but just the call of God on your life. Contrary to the current trend in our culture, I want to say to you as fathers this morning, you are indispensable. Indispensable means absolutely necessary. To borrow a word that we heard throughout the pandemic, you are absolutely essential. For well more than a generation now, we have seen subtle and not so subtle messages being sent that men and fathers are not essential. That is a lie. Amen. You are absolutely essential. Turns out, that we are now seeing the effects. Every day played out in our news, we are seeing the effects of minimizing and de-emphasizing the role of men and fathers. Ladies, I mean no disrespect to you this morning. You guys have a vital role to play in our families, in our culture, but I'm, I'm talking to men this morning. You are absolutely essential. I, it's not my goal this morning to accentuate the glass being less than half full. What I want to convey to you this morning is that if the absence of fatherhood leads to, to a society in decline, then the opposite can also be said. That when the role of fatherhood is honored and seen as indispensable, it becomes the very good soil that Jesus Christ talked about where revival can take root. I want to read to you from a, an article I recently read, uh, and it just, it just blows my mind what they're discovering. The article says, a growing body of research on religion shows that a child's relationship with her, his or her father is critical for faith practice. A four-decade 
longitudinal study following 350 families and over 3,000 people across multiple generations published by Oxford University Press seeking to understand reasons for effective religious transmission found this. This is what they found. That for religious transmission to occur, what that means for faith to be passed on to the next generation, a close bond with one's father matters even more than a close bond with the mother. I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend anyone. Clearly, the quality of a child's relationship with his or her father is important for the internalization of the parent's faith practices. It goes on to say, closeness to fathers matters more than closeness to mothers in religious transmission. Among evangelical fathers, fathers versus mothers, there was a 25-point difference in transference of faith from the parents to the children. In other words, let me, let me make that clear. If a father saw following God as important, there was a 25% more chance that the children would determine it as important as well. A guy by the name of Dr. Paul Vitz, uh, he's a professor at the University of New York, uh, he says this, he says, Vitz shows that the failure for a child to form a healthy attachment to his or her father often manifests itself in a loss of faith. How sad is that? Men, dads, you are essential. You are indispensable. You are absolutely necessary. And if we're going to see, listen, I believe this with all my heart. If we're, this isn't about a change in politics. This is a change in men being men, fathers being fathers, and us playing the role that God has called us to. Then revival can set, can set in. It can take place. Dads, I want to pray for you this morning. Uh, I want to ask you if you would stand wherever you're at all around the room. In fact, I want to broaden it beyond just fathers. I want all the men to stand because many of you who are younger men will someday be fathers. And it would be helpful if we prayed for you ahead of time rather than waiting for you uh, to get there. Now, I want you to look just around the room. This is, this is unheard of. <laughs> that there would be that many men standing here before God this morning. Absolutely unheard of. Lord, we believe. We believe that some of the great things that you're doing here in our local house of worship, some of the great things that you're doing here in this arcade area are directly connected to the men that are standing here this morning. Lord, I believe that you are going to use us to bring about transformation in our culture and in our society. I believe you are going to use us 
to bring about a better soil for you to pour out your spirit upon, Lord. And so I pray for every man standing right now. I ask God that you would be at work in their hearts. I pray that you will be at work in their homes. I pray that you will be at work in, 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 in raising them up, Lord, to be the, the men of God, the godly men that you have always seen them to be, Lord. I pray favor, I pray blessing, I pray anointing, I pray your presence over and upon their lives. Lord, may they be a blessed man. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. You can be seated. I want to continue uh, to... Um, talk about this truth that we've touched on briefly here this morning in the things I've already said. And we're going to be starting a new series for our summer called A Home for Your Heart. A Home for Your Heart. Now, whenever we talk about being in right relationship with God, we usually most always talk about it in terms of someone having a personal relationship with Jesus, whereby we acknowledge our need for him, we acknowledge our need for forgiveness from him, and we ask Jesus, this is how we talk about it, we ask Jesus to come into our life, more pointedly, we ask him to come into our heart, and we we establish this personal relationship, right? Right? That's how we talk about it. Inviting, accepting Jesus into our lives. And the way of understanding that this way is uh, replete throughout the Bible. In other words, it's not hard to find verses, uh, passages of Scripture that talk about specifically Jesus coming to live inside of us. I'm going to give you some examples. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul writes to the Corinthians, the believers at Corinth, and he says to them, he poses a question to them, and he says this, do you not realize about yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? You see it? That Jesus Christ lives in you. In 2 Corinthians, that same uh, letter, in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul writes this, Because the God who said, out of darkness, light shall shine, is the one who shines in our hearts to illuminate the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this treasure, this all-surpassing treasure of Christ being in us, the power of God living inside of us. Also in Galatians, in another letter he wrote, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul writes and he says, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but finish it for me, Christ who lives in me, right? And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith, the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Ephesians 3, 17 Paul writes and he says that Christ may make his home in our hearts through faith that you being rooted would be grounded 
in love. And then finally, in Colossians, in Colossians 1.27, Paul says, God has chosen me to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we could go on and on and on and on, uh, referring to passages where it is conclusive that this idea of establishing a right relationship with God has to do with us embracing Christ in our lives and Him coming by the person of the Holy Spirit and living and dwelling inside of us. Somebody say amen. amen. Jesus actually prayed for this to happen. In John 17, uh, one of his last prayers, besides the ones he said on the cross, he said, Father, I pray that I may be in them. That's what he prayed. Lord, that I may be in them. That's what he prayed. And whenever you ask Christ to be a part of your life, you are answering, at least in part, the prayer that Jesus Christ prayed. But I want to talk to you about, if I can say it this way, the other side of the coin. The other side of the coin. As with many things of life, uh, in life, there is another side to that truth. It's not a different truth. It's the same truth, but a, a, another angle, if you will. Another perspective. Uh, an, another side to it. Turns out, that this personal relationship with God is not just a matter of Him coming to live inside of us. It is also about us coming to live in His house. He's coming to live inside of us, but it's also about us coming home to His house to live with Him. Jesus just didn't pray that I might be in them. He also prayed, he also says this. He said, if you remain in me, I will remain in you. If a man remains in me, I will re remain in him, and he will bear much fruit. Now, <clears throat> this idea of you and I uh, living with the Father in his house is all throughout Scripture. It's, it's, it's all over the place. In fact, last week, when Pastor Scott was sharing with the graduates, he entitled what he had to share with him, them one thing. And one of the passages of Scripture that he uh, brought to our attention was from Psalm chapter 27, verse 4, which says this, One thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I, I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Can you just say all the days of my life with me? All the days of my life. You see, when we read that passage, we think, we think heaven. We think the big house upstairs, right? We, we th we're thinking that I may live or dwell in his house, meaning heaven. But that's not what this David is saying. He's saying, I want to dwell in God's house while I'm living right now, all the days of my current life. I love the way the message translation puts it. This is what the, how the message renders this verse. I'm asking Yahweh for one thing, only one thing, 
to live with him in his house my whole life long. I'll contemplate his beauty. I'll study at his feet. That's the only secure place in a noisy world. Love the way that says that. Moses, another uh, figure in the Old Testament, prominent figure in the Old Testament, he says the same thing. In Psalm 90, verse 1, he said, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. The New Living Translation says it this way, Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. You have been our home. Are these verses, I'm asking you now, are these verses making reference to a literal building with four walls and a door for coming and going like the building that we find ourselves in right now? I don't think so. I don't think when these guys were talking about dwelling in the house of the Lord forever, they were necessarily, I know about the temple, I know about all that, but I don't think in their mind's eye they had envisioned a structure. A building. I think it's more like what Jacob talked about in Genesis chapter 28. Uh, I want to I make reference to this passage here in Genesis chapter 28. This is the scene where Dave, or, I'm sorry, Jacob has a dream at Bethel. Some of you may be familiar with the story. It says in verse 10, Jacob let, left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. So here is Jacob navigating his way from one place to another. He's out in the middle, if I can say it this way, out in the middle of nowhere. Darkness sets in and he decides it's time to take, uh, take a sleep. As he goes to sleep and he's, uh, he says there, it says there he uses a stone for a pillow I don't know about that. I, I, it seems like he could have used a knapsack or something about that. But he lays down to take a sleep. And as he's sleeping, he sees this stairway, a stairway to heaven, right? And he sees angels coming and going on this stairway. And, and, and then at the, top of the, at the top of the stairwell there, at the top of the stairway, he hears, he, he says to us, he hears the Lord. And this is what the Lord says. I am the Lord your God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, and I will give to you your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring." I am with you, the Lord says, and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, the part that I want to point out to you is, in this next uh, couple verses here, it says that Jacob woke up from his sleep, and this is what he says. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. In verse 17, it says, he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So uh, my understanding is, and, and I believe it's born out of these experiences of these Old Testament uh, icons, is that they understood the house of the Lord to be wherever God's presence was at. 
That's what they were longing to live in. That's what they were longing uh, to be a part of and to enjoy is the presence of God. And they called that presence of God the house of God. God not only wants us to live in, he wants us, uh, not only wants us to live in us, he wants us to live in his presence, in the presence of his home. All the days of our lives. Now, the absolute focal point of this, the side of this truth, remember I said to you, yes, this is about Jesus coming to indwell us, but it's also about us coming back home to live with the Father. There is no other greater focal point of that than the teaching that Jesus gave in Luke chapter 15. That teaching is often referred to as the, pro the story of the prodigal or the parable of the lost son. I want to talk to you in the remaining moments that I have about this teaching that Jesus gave. I'm sure most of you that are here today, many of you are familiar with the story, but for the sake of those who may not uh, quite know it well, I want to familiarize you again with the story. Jesus begins to tell this parable, and he starts out talking about a father who had two sons. A father. Now, the implications of this story go far and wide. Uh, some have suggested it's, uh, you know, it uh, has to do with the Jews and the Gentiles. Those are the two sons. Uh, some have suggested that about uh, because of the context of the story, they were questioning Jesus of why he hung out with, uh, uh, you know, scoundrels of his day. And, uh, and so it could be the two sons represent the religious people. Uh, and the other son represents the, the ruffian crowd, the, the people that Jesus seemed to enjoy hanging out with. Anyways, the story starts out here about this father having two sons. And we are told right in the very beginning of the story that the younger son, the one son, the younger one, decides that he doesn't want to live in the father's house anymore and so he goes to the father and he insists that the father give him uh, a portion of his inheritance meaning let's translate that give him some money so that he can go off and do whatever he wants to do now part of the amazing part of this story that Jesus tells is that the father actually complies with the request of the younger son. He blesses the young son with some stuff, and now the father has to watch this son walk away from him, leave his house, leave his home, and, uh, and all that that entails to go off and do his thing. And so the story goes on. Uh, the son who is no longer living in the father's house for a brief time lives it up. He does what a son does, when he leaves the oversight and the, uh, you know, we were all there, right? We were, we were all there. You leave home and you, you do the stuff. You know what I mean? You know what I mean, right? Yeah, I ain't, do, I, I ain't living under that anymore. And you go off and you do your thing, right? So it tells us for a brief time, this younger son went off and did his thing. I think one translation says he got caught up in riotous living. 
You know, he was just, I'm free, I'm free. He he's just out there doing his thing. But then it tells us that uh, when the money ran out, uh, he came upon hard times. Such hard times that he found him jo- himself in a job of feeding somebody's pigs someplace. And he longed, it says, to fill his stomach with the very food that he was offering the pig. But no one gave him anything. I don't know. It seems like he could have snuck a bean or two or something along the way there. But uh, apparently he had enough integrity not to steal the food from the pigs and eat it himself. And, And there he was, had absolutely nothing to eat, right? Nothing. He's starving. And he finds himself in this place of desperation. He's, he's burnt through his, his, uh, uh, the gift that he received from his father. He's, he's landed a, a dirty job. I don't know, a TV show like that. He found himself doing a, a dirty job. And he's, I don't think he was just physically in a place of desperation. I believe his soul was in a place of desperation. He was down. You know how often we say about people, have they reached their bottom yet? Yeah. I, I think they're describing this young man's bottom, right? He, he, he was in a bad way. And so as he's in the midst of this, in the midst of this moment of desperation, it uses this little phrase. I looked at uh, a lot of different translations this week, and they all render it almost exactly the same. It says, he came to his senses. He came to his senses. Coming to your senses is about being able to see things again. You know, when you're you're off track, your vision gets blurred. You're looking at things, we look at things uh, not for the way they really are. This happens to people all the time. They get caught up in things. They get caught up in addictions and they get caught up in all kinds of uh, ways of living where they can't see things the way they should see things, right? But this young man, uh, he somehow came into a place where he could see things again. Coming to your senses about, about having some judgment, some good judgment restored to you. You, you, you can see, see things and, 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 and actually make a, a sound judgment about where things are really at. It's about becoming aware afresh and grasping the significance of the situation you find yourself in. This young son, it tells us, experiences such a moment. And in the midst of that, he has a change of heart. Remember, he's the son who no longer wanted to live under the, under the authority, under the covering of, under the way things were at home with the father. And now this young son has a change of heart. He starts this, this change of, of, uh, uh, of thinking, this change of seeing things uh, happens. It starts, out by happen- it starts out by him beginning to contemplate what actually, what it was actually like when he did live at home. He started remembering that. He started contemplating that. And he, and he says to himself, you know, I remember even the people who worked for my dad 
had it really good. The servants of my father, they had it really, really good. He's starting to, to come back to a place of remembering what it was really like. It leads him to coming up with a plan for how he could find his way back home with his father living in the father's house. His plan starts out like this. You know, if I, if I go back and I grovel enough, if I, if I apologize enough, maybe my father will at least let me be one of those servants in his house. So he's coming up. He's devising a way. And this is why I want you to see. He's trying to find a way in his desperation where he can get back to living in the father's house. Right? That's his heart cry is, I want to be back living with my dad. And so he goes back. And, you, and, and, and I, don't want to, I don't want to get into the rest of the story because we'll, I'm sure we're going to talk about it in the weeks ahead. But uh, the, the, rather than encountering what he anticipated encountering, he anticipated a father with open arms that, that, that was more than excited and happy and thrilled to see him uh, come back home. Now, I want to say to us this morning, the story of the younger son is not just his story, it's our story. It's Jesus didn't just, you know, he didn't just pull a story from his day to somehow apply to the folks that were living in that moment. He took a story that kind of crosses time and history and cultures and, 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 and generations. It, it, this story wasn't just about this young son who, who, who found his way away from the father. It's about our story when we were away from the father and us needing to find our way back home where we belong. You see, because it's not just about Jesus coming to live within us. It's about us coming home to live with our Father. That's where we will find the true meaning of our souls. That's where we will find what we're looking for in life is when we find ourselves back home living with our Heavenly Father. The whole point of Jesus' teaching was to tell us that, to tell them of their day and to tell us of our day that we were intended, we were always intended to live in our Father's house. Now, the question becomes why, was, why is it that He even wants to share a home with us? The primary reason is because he's a father. You know, I know we all say, can't wait till my kids get old, older, and they leave the house. I can remember us having some days, you're having a bad day, 
And you're thinking about when it can be, it just be us again. But I just want to say to you, when each one of my children found their way exiting my home, there was a little bit of grief that took place. I mean, it only lasted a couple hours, but there was, <laughs> there was some grief there. I'm, I'm just kidding. I, you know I'm kidding. There's something, there's something about There's something about a father's heart and I believe a mother's heart that never goes away. And when you find yourself at that point where they're no longer there for you to love on on a daily basis and impart to and and teach, there's, there's, there's something about that, that your heart, I can remember thinking of myself, I can't believe that season of my life is over. When it finally comes to an end and the last one's gone, and you go like, you will never be able to redo that. So for those of you who still got kids at home, I say to you, don't be quick. Enjoy these moments because, as we all know, it goes really fast. But I think when you have a father's heart, when you have a mother's heart, you always have a father's heart. You always have a mother's heart. And it is right. It's the way it works in our culture and society. It's right for our kids to grow up and launch and do their thing. If they were all still living in my house, we tried that a couple times when they kind of went and came back and went and came back. I, you know, that wasn't, it wasn't, the, wasn't the way that we do it, right? But it doesn't change the fact that whether it's my blood-born children or my grandchildren or you still have a father's heart. We were made to live in our father's house. And any house we may try to reside in besides his will be, will be woefully insufficient in tending to the needs of our soul. Just as our earthly homes Maybe some of you don't know this. Our earthly homes are meant to be places that we come to, we go to, we live in to escape the chaos of this world. They're the place that we find ourselves dwelling in to somehow get away from all the other stuff out there. And I'd suggest to us this morning that our Father's house
His presence is meant to provide the very same thing for you and I. That's why David said, there's just one thing I could ask for. There's just one thing I could want. It would be to dwell in God's presence every hour of every day of my life. Why? Because there's no chaos there. It's free of that. Our souls need our Father's house in this broken world. Now, I'm assuming your home is familiar to you. You know where the kitchen is. You don't have to have one, you don't, you don't have to have someone show you where your bedroom is. You know where stuff is. You know that because you are used to living there. God wants us to become so familiar with his house that we know where to go to get what we need. It's not like we're walking in at some where I've never been here before. God, I don't, I, I don't know your presence. I don't understand your house. What, what's going on? He wants us to become, he wants that to be our address. He wants that to be, you know, whatever it is, 777 uh, Golden Street Road, whatever, whatever it is. He wants that to be our go-to address. The place where we, that we go to to come away from the things of this world. Just as our earthly homes provide a place for us to find solace, our Heavenly Father's house is meant to be a palace of peace for us. If we only see our Father's house as a place we vacation at occasionally on the weekends, his house will not have the intended impact that it's meant to have in our hearts and lives. God wants his address to be our address. He wants us living in his house all the days of our life. Listen, if we can see the devastating effects of what happens when the relationship between fathers and children break down, you all understand that's a problem, right? Do you understand? Do you understand that the breakdown of the family has reached epidemic proportions? The, the, the lack of attendance. Listen, I, everybody's wondering, well, you know, from uh, in the last 40 years, the attendance in churches has dropped precipitously. It's like it's like a rock going off a cliff right now. Now, you may not notice that right here, right now, but in the broad scheme of things, in the United States of America, there is a, there is a, uh, it's bad. It's real bad. It's like there's not other generations coming. You can connect the dots directly to the, re the father relationship with children. This is not rocket science. No father, no faith. Nothing against moms. 
Thank God for your faith. It's probably the only thing holding the ship up. <laughs> if we can see the devastating effects of what happens when, when, when children are not in a meaningful relationship with their earthly fathers, how much more devastating the impact will be had in lives when, they're, when people are not having a meaningful relationship with their heavenly Father. You've lost all bearings. There's no one, there's no one, you know, when, you're, when the kids are going through their exploring of what is north, what is true north, and they're all over here, whatever, you know, there's a dad there to say, uh, listen, Ah, uh, this is the way we need to go. What made Jesus, I'm almost done, what made Jesus so incredibly effective was that while he have, may have left the splendors of heaven, he never, and he left the splendors of heaven and he came to her earth, but he never moved out of his father's house. Never moved out. In fact, while he was here on earth, he's like, you know, why do you do what you do? How do you do what you do? How is it that you are the way you are? And he kept saying, listen, ah. I don't do anything till I check in with the Father. I don't say anything till I check in with the Father. I don't do anything till I check in with the Father. He maintained, at a distance, he maintained living in his Father's house. When you strip away the importance of a relationship with Father, it's not going to get us where we need to go. Now, I've, I'm fully aware as uh, as we sit here this morning, that some fathers have got, some earthly fathers have gotten that whole fatherhood completely wrong. I understand that. I understand that some of them uh, did things they shouldn't have done. They brought, in, in, they brought immense harm to families. And, and, and because of that, I, I understand what's happened because of the way some fathers have looked to relate to their, to their role, to their capacity, and to the people around them. It has done uh, a ton of, of harm. But last with many things, what we end up doing is we throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? We say, well, because some fathers were horrible at fathering, then we don't need fathers anymore. And I'm suggesting to us this morning that we not only need earthly fathers, and preferably earthly fathers who are, who are in love with God and following hard after God, but most importantly, we need our heavenly father, and we better not throw out that relationship. And we better not be satisfied enough with just saying, well, I've invited Jesus into my heart. That's enough. No, no. That's one part of it. The other part of it is, is you and I need to learn to live in the Father's presence. Because there's certain things the Son will do for us, but there's other things the Father has to do for us because the Father is irreplaceable. We talk a lot about the Son, 
but the Father is indispensable. It's not just about Jesus coming to live in my heart. It's about you and I coming to understand what it means to live in the Father's house. My hope and prayer over these next few weeks of summer is that we can spend some more time talking about what you and I, uh, what it means to live in the Father's house. What is it that we're supposed to be deriving from that? What is it that we're so, how are we to be benefiting from that? And Jesus has given us, he's given us all the answers. It's, our, it's right there for us to plainly see and understand. It doesn't have to be a mystery. Like, ooh, it's all right there, plain as day. It's simply you and I not being content to have Jesus living in our hearts, but be hungry, desperate to live in our Father's house. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? I want to, I have, yeah. Okay, so... Um, I was really feeling led to get up here and say something. I just want you to know that Father's Day is one of my favorite holidays of the whole year. I love Father's Day. I look forward to it and everything. And you might think, oh, it must be because you had a great father. No, I grew up in a fatherless home. And then when I was little, for a short time, I had an abusive so-called Christian father. Um, and... Still, Father's Day is one of my favorite holidays of the whole year. And that is because I know my Heavenly Father. I live in His house. He is the first thing. He trumps all fathers on earth. And um, I was just sensing that um, I would like to share with you that you can be healed and that you do not have to miss out on your heavenly father just because you missed out on an earthly father or you had a crappy earthly father. You can still, um, you can still uh, live in your father's house. And it was a, a journey with me. Um, it's probably still ongoing, but there's, there aren't any triggers. Like, I love Father's Day. I hope that all the men just become the greatest fathers and that they get to know their heavenly father because he is so good. And when we were at Bible school, one of the things that happened in my healing was um, they had this special speaker from California. It was this little man. And wouldn't you know it, he decided to walk with me across campus. And I didn't even know what he was there talking about, but I didn't like the guy. I'm like, I just really don't like you. Why are you walking with me, you know? And come to find out, he was spending the whole weekend talking about the fatherhood of God. And it really, really helped in my um, healing journey. Um, and then there, there are just other things that happened all along the way. So I encourage you to be healed. Be healed. Don't give up on the process because you have a heavenly father who wants you living in his house he wants to be your provider your protector he wants to be all that stuff for you so don't give up and go after him and be healed why don't you pray us out okay 
Heavenly Father, we think you're just the greatest. We love you, and we are so glad that we are your children, that we get to know you, that we get to live in your house, and I pray for healing for every person in here, man or woman. Just uh, keep them going on the journey of healing, that they would come to know you and that um, there would not be any triggers in their life that would bring pain and um, that they wouldn't keep their eyes on what they didn't have or all the problems, but they would look up and see you and get to know you and their lives would be changed forever for every person that's in here in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, you are our perfect Heavenly Father, and we keep you first above everything. In Jesus' name, amen.